Well, at the moment, we're right at the start of a new series that we began last Sunday called Elementary. And there's a passage we're going to hear read in just a few moments' time by the, the Bethel kids that kind of leads us through some of the elementary truths of the Christian faith. And then we're going to dive into the, the second of those four today. Uh, so we're going to have the reading from uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And then if you are following along, we're going to dive into Mark chapter 9 as well. Therefore, let us move beyond elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. And of faith in God. The instructions about baptisms, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. 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 And God permitting, we'll do so. chapter 9 and pick it up at verse 14 when they came to the other disciples they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them as soon as all the people saw Jesus they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him what are you arguing with them about he asked a man in the crowd answered teacher I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, that was rubbish. Let's try that again. This is the word of the Lord. Slightly better. Um, did you all have a good night's sleep last night? No, some of you didn't. No, put your hand up if you had a good night's sleep. Yeah, put your hand up if you didn't. Put your hand up if you can't really remember. Just <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you dream? Do you guys have dreams? Not, not everyone dreams often or, or remembers their dreams. Who, who remembers their dreams? Uh, I don't know if you've had this one. This is quite a common dream, quite a common nightmare. That you're in a situation and you're trying to talk to people and you're trying to make a difference and they can't see you. They can't hear you. Have you had this dream? All right, it's not that common then. But apparently it's a really, a really common one. That you're in a situation trying to do something and just nobody's responding. Nobody's making any response to you at all. That's a nightmare. And it would be, wouldn't it? To go through life unrecognized, unnoticed, unvalued, and unwanted. In this series that we're doing together uh, through some of the elementary, some of the foundational truths of the Christian faith, we're going to come this morning to the second one uh, on our list. and uh, It's there uh, highlighted for us. Last time we were thinking about repentance from acts that lead to death, the fact that we can turn to God now. Secondly, we're going to think about faith in God. We're going from turn to trust. Uh, Earlier in this letter, uh, sorry, later in this letter, uh, the writer puts it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's a lot going on there in those words, isn't there? Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come have got to believe that he exists. Can you imagine going through life, calling out to a world that you have made, a world that you love. I'm here. I want to rescue you from the worst of yourselves. I want to walk with you through the challenges of life. I want to lead you into eternity and to be unrecognized, unnoticed, unvalued, unwanted. If you're going to come, he says, you've got to come believing he exists, but he doesn't end there. He says he rewards those who earnestly seek him, not the ones who just casually, but the ones who earnestly, who come hungry for him. There's a difference, isn't there, between believing that God exists and earnestly seeking him. And the writer here tells us the reward is for those who who earnestly seek, who go beyond that moment. I guess a lot of us were at some point in our lives of thinking, there might be a God, there probably is a God, that go beyond that, actively, passionately, hungrily, search to get to know him uh, in their lives. Uh, Last week, we were thinking about Jesus' ministry and how he begins it and some of the first words out of his mouth. The time has come. This is an opportunity that you'll want to get in on. Uh, The good news of the kingdom is here. 
repent and believe. So if repent is one of the first words, turn, trust is one of the next words, believe the good news. So what does it mean to trust? What does it mean to pursue Jesus in our lives? I don't know if you've got a great relationship with chairs. Would you say you have a good relationship with chairs? I don't have a great relationship with chairs. How many chairs have I broken? Six. I've six chairs I've broken. <laughs> in, yeah, six chairs I've broken in my life. So most of us here, this is quite a personal painful thing I'm confessing to, well, if you see a wooden chair, well, you'll just go and sit on it. No, 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 no. I've got to have a good look at it before I could... I wouldn't even try that one, I don't think, before you can sit on it. People who know me well, when I go around their house for dinner, will have a chairs around the table and then say, oh, no, John, we've got a special chair for you, and they'll bring a, a, a special chair out. Most of you don't have to think about this, but I have to think about it because I've experienced... I'm going to call them bad chairs. I'm going to blame the chairs. I've experienced bad chairs. In a million ways in our lives... We walk by faith. When you sit on a chair, you expect it to hold you up. You just trust that it's going to do that. When you get behind the wheel of your car and, and drive, you trust that other road users, by and large, are going to respect the rules of the road as well. We trust, don't we? We trust our, our partners with the deepest truths about ourselves. We trust our kids uh, as they grow in, into maturity. We're exercising faith in all kinds of ways uh, in our lives. I want to take you to this moment, this story this morning, because there's so much in here that resonates with me. Jesus has just been up on a mountain for what has been quite an incredible moment of his ministry. He's taken just three disciples up with him, and while he's up on the mountain, uh, the Bible tells us he was transfigured before them. A word in the Greek that we get the word metamorphosized from. And the only way they can describe it is his clothes were so white, they were whiter than anything could ever bleach them. This is back in the first century. And then next to Jesus is Moses and Elijah. Somehow the lines between past and present, his, um, eternity and reality are, are blurring. And they're discussing together Jesus' departure, his, his purpose. Uh, that he's going to be leaving this world. And the disciples are caught up in this incredible moment of mystery and majesty and, and splendor. And they want to stay there, but they can't stay there. They've got to come back down the mountain. And Jesus comes back down from this glorious moment in his life and his ministry. And he comes back to an argument that's happening. A theological argument bunch of the teachers of the law are on one side and the disciples are on the other and there's a crowd around them and they're arguing against each other and Jesus walks into this and says what are you talking to them about what are you arguing about and then a man steps forward out of this crowd and says teacher I brought my son to your disciples immediately changes the tone this isn't a theological debate this is about a little boy and I guess the little boy would have had burns on his skin from when in the past he's been thrown into fire. And I guess his eyes would have been filled with that anxious nervousness of not knowing what was about to happen, of not feeling safe in his own body. And the man explains that he's been possessed by an evil spirit or an impure spirit. 
has robbed him of, its, uh, of his ability to speak, will throw him down onto the ground that he convulses. And I love the moment when Jesus stops. He could have just healed him, could have just released him from this, but he takes a moment to talk to the dad. I love that, this real tender moment. How long has he been like this? That lovely thing to do, just your story matters to me. Your struggle is important. It's not just about power, it's, it's about you, you as an individual. And he explains it's, it's been going on since, since he was born. And Jesus wrestles with this. Having just been talking big, glorious revelation moments, he comes back down to this argument and he says, oh, unbelieving generation, how much longer have I got to put up with you? And Tim was talking earlier, wasn't he, about sometimes we try and sanitize the Bible. And sometimes we do try to tame Jesus, don't we? But Jesus means here what he says. How long have I got to put up with you? So frustrated at this moment to see this person, this child, in so much anguish, so much oppression, uh, and there'd be no answer, there'd be no hope for him. And so the man says to him, listen, if you can help, if you can do anything to help us, please have pity on us and help us. And Jesus picks up on one little word, if. If you can, Jesus says. And then these incredible words, everything is possible for one who believes. So he comes to Jesus with an if, and he's hoping for anything. And Jesus promises him everything. Everything is possible for one who believes. I don't know how that sits with you this morning as we sit in this building together and look up at the screen and read those words. I don't know how this morning has, has sat with you as you've seen people come and dedicate themselves as parents and their family to the Lord and as we've sung together of songs of faith and, and trust. I don't know, are there times when you sit and you look at others and you think, is this real for them? Sometimes we read passages of Scripture, don't we? And we have, we have questions about how that might have happened or what that might have looked like or what that really means. And sometimes we can struggle with those sort of questions, can't we? Sometimes there are those ifs in our minds too. If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And then these incredibly honest words. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It would be great, wouldn't it, if you could neatly divide the world into believers and unbelievers. But you can't. This is us right here, isn't it? This is the human condition. I do believe, but underneath belief and surrounding belief and challenging belief is this unbelief. You know, I pray, but I worry. <laughs> I believe that God wants me to be generous, but on any given day there are other things that interrupt me and, and distract me. I believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive, but if you looked at my bank account, what would that look like? I believe, but I doubt. Faith and doubt at the one and the same time. It's like the words from uh, Michael Novak, a fab fabulous author. Doubt is not so much a dividing line that separates people into different camps,
but a razor's edge that runs through every soul. And it's just true. And maybe you're here today, and even this morning as we've been sharing together, there have been those ifs in your mind. There have been those questions. Take pity on us, the man says, and help us. And sometimes it's not so much a question of whether he can, but whether he will. There's an old uh, Cherokee saying that in each of us there are two wolves that are fighting. And one wolf is, is black, and that wolf is called despair. And one wolf is white, and that's called hope. And they're locked in this kind of eternal battle against each other. And whenever that story is told, the question is asked, which wolf will win? And it's true, isn't it? It's probably true for each and every one of us today that despite our personality type or our experience, there are times of great hope in our lives. Times when we think, yes, anything is possible. And also times of deep despair, deep struggle, deep darkness. It's a wrestle, isn't it, constantly uh, going on inside of us. There's a, um, a, there was a film out last year called A Wrinkle in Time. I don't know how many people saw it, but written by a fabulous author, uh, Madeleine Lengel. And she's also written a, a lot about doubt. And she writes about the health of doubt, the health of giving space for our questions. And she says that those who believe they believe in God but without passion in the hearts, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. She says, if you've got such a neat, manageable God that you can keep in one little place, then you're believing in the idea of God and not in God himself. Because to walk with this God, to live with this God, will take times of, yes, passion, but also uncertainty. Times even of despair. If. I wonder if you've got an if today. We've been singing about God's love for us. That forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. And I wonder just after those things, if there's an if. Yeah, God, I, I feel you with me if I'm being great, you know, if I'm in a really good place. But when I'm not in a good place, I don't, I don't know you in that way anymore. Forever God is strong if you'll serve, if you'll walk, if he wants to be. It's a bit like the man that came to Jesus early on in Mark's gospel with leprosy, an incurable condition in his day, a, a condition that meant he was isolated, uh, couldn't live a normal life. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. For him, the if wasn't with the can, the if was with the willing. Lord, I, I believe that you'll heal other people. I believe you can do it in other places and in other lives, but are you willing to do it for me? And that's a big if that many of us wrestle with, that many of us live with uh, in, in our lives. So today, if, if you're here, and you'd sort of describe yourself as a sort of if, I was going to say an iffy believer, but that's probably not the right phrase. But if you have an if today, a struggle, a question, or it maybe even it's, it's, it's not even phrased in that way. Maybe you've just sat on so many chairs and they've broken that you just don't think it's going to change. This man's if, of course, is shaped by the fact that the disciples had tried to pray for his boy and failed to do what he wanted. And maybe there's been that story in your life. God, I've, I've asked you to change me. 
I've prayed for this situation to move. I've, I've asked for a partner. I've prayed for a job. I've longed to find a church. And to, as those prayers are unanswered, the, the if grows, doesn't it? The, the question mark grows. What is so beautiful here about Jesus is that we see iffy believers are welcomed. Iffy believers are welcomed. There are some people, aren't there, that come to Jesus and they're absolutely convinced of his power. Uh, I think of the, the people that climbed up onto the roof. Remember that story? Wanted to get their paralyzed friends to Jesus and the house is too full and everyone's too important to move out of the way. And so one of them goes, oh, I tell you what, let's go up on the roof, make a hole, lower him down. Simple enough. Brilliant. Love people like that. And they must have been utterly convinced that Jesus could and would do something. He wouldn't break someone's roof uh, otherwise. I love those stories. I love those people. But here in this story, we see that people who come with questions and doubts and fears are welcome as well. Jesus doesn't say, well, go away and sort of do a course on faith and read these books. And when the if has become a when, you can come back and ask me again. In the honesty of this moment, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus meets this man. I remember reading a while ago about a college professor that was trying to convey this to, uh, to his students. And so he put his hand in his pocket uh, and he pulled out, or he just pulled out his fist. And he said, how many of you here believe I've got a, a 50 pound note in my hand? We should, let's just do this experiment. How many people here believe I've got a 50 pound note in my hand? Well, you obviously know the budget for the church this year, don't you? Wow, fantastic. No, nobody believes it at all. Okay, well, the lecturer then said, um, I'm now, for those who do believe I've got a 50-pound note, I'm now going to destroy your faith. And he opened his hand, and he did have a 50-pound note. But their faith was destroyed because now it wasn't belief. Now they could see. They didn't need faith anymore because there was proof. There was evidence the 50-pound was there. And then he said, and faith is always rewarded. And so whoever believed I had a 50 pound note, have this round of applause from everyone and put it back in his pocket. <laughs> we walk, the Bible tells us, by faith and not by sight. Which means that wherever there is faith, there will always be doubt. There will always be struggle. There will always be questions because it's not knowing yet, one day we'll know, one day we'll see. But for now, it's faith. Doubt is one of those things that threatens to separate us, us off from others, doesn't it? As soon as there are questions, we think, should I share those? You know, we sit in small groups with other people and we talk about the Bible and something is said and we think in our heart of hearts, do I, do I really think that? Do I really believe that? And the danger is that we hide it. The danger is that we don't bring it to Jesus. We don't bring it to others. Uh, and it separates us off. It cuts us off from, from others uh, in our lives. We often think of faith and doubt as opposites, don't we? And, and they kind of are in that, like, it's a bit like um, sickness and health. Sickness is an absence of health. But, ab but health is more than an absence of sickness. It's more than that. Faith is more than an absence of doubt. In the Hebrew, faith is a doing word. 
You know, sometimes we talk about faith, don't we? Like to categorize people, people of faith or a certain faith, or we think of faith as a statement of beliefs. Actually, in the Hebrew, the, the pictorial language is of a fist held across the chest. It's a holding on, it's a clinging, uh, it's, a, it's a trusting, it's a doing word. Let me put it another way for you. I don't know if you're good with heights or not, and apologies if you don't like pictures like that, but let's just imagine you were climbing up the side of a rock with others. And as you start to get close to the top, someone says, oh, there's a lovely view. If you'll just turn around, you'll, you'll see it. And you're clinging on to the rock, and you turn around. And as you start to turn, your foot slips, and you start to fall down this cliff. And you see others starting to fall as well, and you're falling backwards until you can't feel the cliff. There's just air behind you. And a little part of you in that moment thinks, I'm going to grab onto a branch. And then another part of you thinks, actually, the branches further down the cliff are probably stronger because there's more soil. You're thinking all of this while falling through the air very quickly. And so I'll wait and grab the biggest branch I can. But of course, you're falling backwards, so you don't know how long it's going to be before you hit the bottom. So eventually, you grab onto a branch. The question is, is your belief that that branch was strong enough going to matter in that moment? Or is it the branch itself that's important? If it's not strong enough to hold you, it doesn't matter if you believe it's going to save you or not. And sometimes our faith can feel so small, can't it? It can feel so feeble. When Jesus tells us faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. We all want to have more faith. We all want to have stronger faith. But the real question, the important question is who are you trusting in? Who is your faith in? If you have faith in your own faith to save you, you have real problems. But thank God he's provided us, Jesus, somewhere to cling, somewhere to trust, something to hold on to uh, in our lives. I just want to end with the story of some other iffy believers. There's another if that has always fascinated me. It's in the heart of the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, the king, the emperor, back in the day, sets up this huge golden statue and commands that everybody from around the emp empire has got to come and worship it together at this big ceremony. And there's some Jewish people there that have been uh, deported to this country. and They desperately do not want to do it. And so in a sea of thousands that are bowing down, there are three people that refuse to. They're called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you pronounce their names differently, that's fine. But that's what I call them as a Welshman. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they refuse to bow down to this statue. And so they're hauled before the most powerful man on the planet. And he's told, if you don't bow down, we have a special punishment for you, a fire, a furnace. And he's so cross, he orders that it's heated up seven times hotter than usual. I don't know how you heat a fire up seven times hotter, but that's what he commands them to do. And they stand before the king, and they say these words. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. There's two statements for you, back to back. Our God is able to save us. 
But even if he doesn't, even if he's got some mysterious plan in this that we can't see, even if it's not his will for us to be rescued from this situation, we will still not bow down. So, see, the trouble often is that ifs can grow, become so big, or we can bring them to Jesus. And then we can live with an even if. God, I'm hoping in this situation, I'm trusting, I'm praying, I'm believing, that even if you have something else, even if you don't, you are still my king. You're still my God. There's a book um, by a guy called Joe Bailey called The Last Thing We Talk About. And he, it's a horrific story. He tells the story uh, of being a father to three boys. And one of them dies at 18 days old uh, following surgery. The next one dies at five years old following leukemia. And then eventually the, uh, their eldest, their 18-year-old, dies after a sledging accident. And he writes about the pain of, of walking through that. The pain each time of unanswered prayer, of thinking, surely not again. Surely God will, will do something this time. And towards the end of this book, he writes passionately, reason, we believe, is a deceptively weak crutch for faith. Reason gropes around in the dark while faith waits for God. But we believe that God is love. I cannot explain it, but my wife and I have never been more convinced of his love for us and our children than when we have turned from a fresh grave. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the God who stands with us in our fire, in our furnace, in our struggle. And he is there, even if we do not see him. That uh, Cherokee saying, two wolves fighting, which one will win? Anybody know the answer to it? The one you feed. The one you feed. And it's true, isn't it, that in our lives we can feed our faith or we can starve our faith. We can feed our doubts or we can starve our doubts. We can gather with other people and say, listen, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Will you, will you help me? How do, how do you wrestle with it? We can find authors and, and talks that will help us and grow us and, and strengthen us. Or we can feed our doubts and our fears. I'd love just for a moment to pray uh, with you today. and um, Just as we come to pray, I'd love you to think about an if that is real for you to really personalize this today. Something that you struggle, not just to believe, but to trust God with, or to trust God for. want to encourage you today just just to bring it to Jesus just as it is don't try to tidy it up or pretty it up or disguise it as anything else he knows anyway even if all the faith you could muster today is simply to say if you can do anything 
to see God can do far more with my honest self than he can with all the religious play acting we can put together.